Hi, welcome to True Creeps, where the stories are true and the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore to the possibly plausible paranormal, to horrifying history, to tense and terrible true crime, and everything else that goes bump in the night. We're your hosts, Amanda, and I'm Lindsay, and we want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Today, we are going to cover an ongoing case that we just recently heard about, and it's really just beginning. So we're going to follow it through. I'm very intrigued by this case. Me too. Me too. So the first time we heard about it is one of our patrons, Lexi, shared this case with us in our Patreon-only Discord group. And both of us were like, this is really interesting. We need to see more. I was I immediately was like, Internet, show me what you've got. To the point that I didn't even respond to her because I was like, we're doing this now. <laughs> I was like, this is what we're doing. Yeah. I think 75% of the research that I did was that sitting. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, I am elbows deep in this. Yeah. Yeah. I have like a list of who everyone is because what we realized when we started covering the Vallo case, so much of it had happened. And one of the things that Amanda and I discussed was like, oh, there's so many people involved. Mm-hmm. Oh, we should have like a list of who everyone is. Right now, there's like eight people. So it's not overwhelming in this current case. But I was like, I'm just going to start this because it's a lot easier to do this now than it is when there's 50 people involved. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the difference, too, is because I got into the Vallow case as it was happening. So I'm like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. this random person came in at this time and it's really easy to wrap your head around. But for this, we're all going into it at the beginning together. Welcome. Join us. So big thank you to Lexi for sharing it with us. So let's get started. About 10 years ago, Lucy Studi called the Fremont County Sheriff's Office in Iowa, not Idaho, because <laughs> we talk about Fremont so much now. So she called the sheriff's office in Iowa with some pretty awful allegations about her father, Donald Dean Studi. We will get into the details of her claim, but they involve a well. And 10 years ago, after receiving her call, a deputy went out to the property that Lucy described, but he couldn't find the well. So they just moved on. But Lucy, for a long time, has been begging people to listen to her. And when I say a long time, I mean the past 45 years. I think that was like the first thing about this that really hit me. And I was like, that is such an incredibly long period of time to be asking for help. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So since she was only eight years old in 1977, and it's ridiculous that it took this long. I keep seeing different famous attorneys commenting on this. They're like, well, she could be charged with aiding and abetting. And I'm like, literally get fucked. Yeah. According to Lucy, she had spoken to law enforcement, priests, and teachers, but no one believed her. The teacher said family matters should be handled as a family. And law enforcement said that they just couldn't trust the memory of a child. And she said, I was just a kid then, but I remember it all. And like, we've talked about a couple cases in the past where like kids did see something. Yes. Yes. About a year ago, Lucy called Deputy Mike Wake and told him about her claims. And it seems like for the very first time, someone finally took her seriously. And we're going to get into the story more. It's crazy, again, that like so many people over the years dismissed her claims, given the reputation that her father had. Yeah, absolutely. 
The alleged crimes have a nexus at what was once the property of Donald Studi, which was located in Green Hollow. It's just north of Thurman, which has a population of less than 170 people, but it's also 40 miles south of Omaha, Nebraska. And this will be an important detail to remember. So at this point, Lucy has given a few different interviews to the media, and she's also been interviewed by law enforcement. But in an interview, she was talking about an interaction she had with a high school guidance counselor. And they were like, well, what are your plans for after high school? And she said that she had never thought she would live long enough to graduate high school. And during that time, she would also work as much at her after school job, which was at a neighborhood convenience store, so that she didn't have to spend more time at home. The way that she finally got out was she joined the army. And then Lucy also said that her father was once violent and angry with her because he thought that she stole $16,000 from him. And interestingly, she admits that she did. No charges were ever filed. But she said, I took it because it was the only way I knew how to hurt my father. I went back to Minnesota where I was living then and I gave it all away. Not to dismiss that. That's a lot of money. But like also, it sounds like it was almost like a cry for attention, though. Like people, I need people's attention on me. Mm -hmm. And this is the only way to get it. Because maybe she was hoping that he would call the police. Yeah. That he would file some sort of claim and like get real people involved with that family. But like, it's interesting, too, that like he claims this and never actually brought charges on her. And now it's very obvious. Why not? I'm sure that there was part of her that was like, yes, please do go to the police. Mm -hmm. So regarding her claims, Lucy has made at least two recorded statements to law enforcement and she has offered to take a polygraph test. Before I start this next part, we've covered Samuel Little in his own episode, as well as several True Crime Digest updates. But he has been dubbed America's most prolific serial killer. Yeah. And his victim count that he has confessed to is 93. The amount of detail he provided about every single one leads law enforcement to, to believe that those confessions were credible. Yeah. Yeah. So Lucy claims that her father murdered 50 to 70 people. That's crazy. She said that he did this through stabbing and shooting, but primarily through bludgeoning or kicking in the heads of his victims, which were mostly women. Her original claim to law enforcement, from what I've seen, was 5 to 15 people, which is a huge disparity. What I find fascinating is that police, police still believe her story, despite this massive inconsistency. I mean, it could be that, like, as she got older, she remembered more. Or put pieces together. Like, more pieces. Yeah. We'll talk about it more, but it seemed like there was a process that was followed. And the way that your mind works is that it lumps similar memories together. How many times have you left the house and said, did I turn my straightener off? Mm-hmm. All the time, every day. Every fucking time. I'm not saying that this is something as mundane as leaving your straightener on, but there is a pattern of the behavior that was routine. Exactly. Yeah. And then she finally realized what the routine was and went, oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then I'm sure she was able to, like, think of more things. But so Lucy claimed that her father would murder five to six women per year in the trailer that he shared with his children and that she, along with her siblings, would help him dispose of the clothed bodies on their property in Green Hollow. What they would do is they would move them to a well and the area surrounding the well. In the winter months, they would use a toboggan. And a wheelbarrow would be used to transport the bodies when it was warm. 
after they would put a body into the well and from what I understand into the ground as well, they would pour dirt on them and then lie. Disgusting and horrible. And it's sad to get your kids involved, your children. And just like, how full of yourself were you then? Because like children are going to tell everyone everything. Like, have you you've seen like the silly stories of like the weird shit that kids tell their teachers? Like not not in a bad way, but like my mom drinks wine all the time or like. But he was a scary person. And it wasn't just to them. Law enforcement admitted that they were weary of going onto the property. I think that is one of the things that separates this is because like so often you hear I literally can't say a damn thing around my kids because they're going to they're going to tell everybody about it because they don't understand what's a thing to not tell and what's a thing to tell. I think that he thought his children were so scared of him that they wouldn't do anything. That's kind of, that's my theory. I mean, yes, no. When she says, though, that she started trying to get people's attention at eight years old, I don't know any eight year old that isn't going to say weird shit to people. Scary or not, even not not necessarily my dad did this, 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 Mm -hmm. but even like a weird detail that could lead someone down that path, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the difference between today versus 1977. In 1977, if you were like, there's something scary going on at home. Yeah. That is your family's business versus today. Everyone's like, well, tell me literally every detail and I'm going we're going to run this down. Yeah, we'll dissect it and figure it out. So Lucy said that all of her siblings were aware of what was happening because they all helped. It wasn't just her. And Lucy remembers that after he had murdered one of his victims, he had said the bitch deserved it. Yeah, that's horrible. And a kid hearing that like, oh, no, I don't want to deserve it, too. Lucy remembers most of the women he murdered as being thin, white, with darker red or blonde hair, who were relatively short. Additionally, most were in their 20s to 30s, with the exception of one being a 15-year-old runaway. Also, Lucy provided a description of two men that she alleged Studi had murdered. One was in his 20s and the other was in his 40s. She also did say that the bodies were clothed, and that they still had their jewelry. However, Studi did take a trophy and he'd take his victim's gold teeth. Mm-mm. That seems like difficult. I am horrified. It's very fucking weird. Yeah. Per Lucy, quote, all I want is to get these sites dug up and to bring closure for people and to give these women a proper burial, which absolutely fair. Like that's what everyone should be pushing for. Yeah, exactly. And that she's tried for a million years and no one cared. And she talks a, a lot about in interviews how she doesn't feel like she can work through the trauma of being involved in this until that can happen. That's hard. That's sad. Mm-hmm. And we're going to know like what happened to the others, too. So Lindsay brought up that Lucy had siblings. Lucy's only brother killed himself when he was 39 years old. And Lucy does have two sisters. However, one has refused to make any sort of comment. And the other sister, whose name is Susan, says that Lucy is lying. Susan is two years older than Lucy. And Susan said that her father was very strict and that he loved his children. She denies that he was a murderer. Susan thinks that, spoiler alert, there were cadaver dogs. She believes that they were confused by the scent of a golden retriever that had been buried on the land, as well as, this is weird, a stillborn sister of their father, who had been buried in a shoebox. In our outline, I wrote, what? I don't know what the procedures for that were, 
many, many years ago. I'm assuming that she was likely a home birth. Yeah. But still like a shoebox. A shoebox. And also like we've talked about cadaver dogs. We're going to do it again later, but they're not going to confuse the scent of a another dog being buried on the property. I think that's a common misconception about cadaver dogs. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about Donald Studi. He died in 2013 when he was 75. And while we're happy that he's dead, it's like he died thinking he got away with it. And I'm like mad that that happened. Yeah. Like he's not going to have to have like a shitty end to his life in prison. Yes. Yes. So Lucy describes him as being routinely drunk and that he had a short temper. He also had multiple aliases. And when he was born, his last name was still Studi, but it was the way it's spelled as of his death was S-T-U-D-E-Y. Mm-hmm. But when he was born, there was no E there. So it was just one of the ways in which he changed up his alias. So Lucy said that he would routinely transport guns and drugs, and he would do this with his kids in the vehicles with him. So what he would do is before he had to go to an inspection site, he would hide the contraband in the hollow of a tree. Then he would drive to the checkpoint and he had all of his kids in the car. So it made him seem like he was not someone to really look into further. So then after he would pass the checkpoint, he would park and go on foot and retrieve the contraband. Luckily, that won't work in today's world. (laughs) Yeah, it will not. Studi was in prison for petty larceny in Omaha in the 1950s and in 1989 for drunk driving. The sheriff admitted that they rarely went to the trailer where Studi lived with his kids because they were apprehensive of him. But the reputation he had was of a person who was routinely involved in illegal activity. The understanding that I got from all of the interviews that we read was that he came across as a person who was dangerous, who you didn't want to mess with, who you didn't want to get on their bad side. And so... Lucy said that Studi was constantly gambling, but was also very bad at gambling. So he would always pick like the wrong dog or the wrong horse when he was betting. So he was constantly in debt. She also reported that he stole from so many of his jobs. Like, and it didn't matter like what he was doing, he was going to steal stuff. I wonder if because of his background, perhaps that's why he changed his name and had aliases. Yeah, I would wonder. Law enforcement also shared that Studi had been married twice, but both of his wives died. Both deaths were ruled a suicide. His first wife was thought to have shot herself in the head, and the second was thought to have strangled herself with an electrical cord. That's a really hard way to die, right? I was just thinking that given his history and the claims that we're hearing, that's that's weird. I am having a hard time believing that that happened in that way. And also, I mean, just generally, like, we're now talking about the Studi children, right? Three girls, one boy. I don't know what the overlap was, but the idea that you could lose two maternal figures to suicide Mm -hmm. or not suicide is so heartbreaking. It screams a little vallow, right? Yeah. Studi also tried to take his own life at least twice. And this was interesting, too, that I saw that he had love tattooed on his knuckles and he had hate on the other and east central iowa news points out that the character reverend harry powell in night of the hunter from 1955 also had these tattoos and that he was a misogynistic serial killer interesting those seem like popular tattoos but it's an interesting correlation to draw yeah yeah so there was a neighbor too and his name's sean smith and he owns property next to the studi property with his father 
And he heard all of the rumors about Studi when he was growing up. And he wasn't surprised they were investigating him. Which again, like, so all these people in the area are like, that guy's weird. That guy's shady. That guy's scary. Mm -hmm. And no one took any of these claims seriously. So Sean received a weird call that he got about 10 years ago. And someone asked Sean if he had seen human or cow bones in the well. Very specific. Very specific. And the caller said, quote, my daughter's always hallucinating and making up stories. And she told the authorities that I've got a body back there. Hmm. Suspicious. Well, that's like a weird call. Like, why? Why would anyone even make that call? Let alone like, I mean, I guess to gauge what people know, but like, you're kind of putting it out there, you know? It doesn't seem like he was a very good criminal. Yeah. He just had a lot of people around him not looking. That's fair. Yeah. And also, I mean, it's kind of in the subtext here. 50 to 70 people is a lot. You would think you would notice that, right? Like in a small town, it's not like people are making these claims, but if there's no one going missing around you, how much are you going to believe it? If you're like, oh my gosh, he's a serial killer, but like literally no one around you is going missing. Yeah. I mean, maybe you don't think about it as as much because you don't think about like, oh, he's traveling to get people. Right. And how people like thought about serial killers was a lot different then. Exactly. And I think that's that's the only reason he got away with it for so long. I think so, too. So per Smith, FBI agents checked out the well over a year ago and asked him some questions. Newsweek had reached out to the FBI Omaha office, but they wouldn't comment or confirm whether they were investigating Studi. The FBI told Sean that they were going to come back in August to dig and weeks ago, as of late October, dug up part of the well. And it's unknown whether they found anything so far. And Fremont County Sheriff's Department, however, said that they had not been notified prior to the FBI digging up the well, which is weird that they kind of like skipped over them. It is bizarre because normally they have, from what I thought, they had to be invited in like a vampire. Unless they don't trust them to do everything properly is my guess. In all of the interviews with the sheriff, he is very like, we will take literally whatever help we can get. Reminds me of Gein. So one of the deputies in Fremont, Mike Wake, as we mentioned earlier, he grew up in the Thurman area and there were there was rumors about Studi that he had heard. And he said, well, then when Lucy called me, I just went out there and looked. She kind of told me where she thought the well was at. And well, there was a well right there. It was just right where she said, no kidding. And her story never changes. Law enforcement asked if she would come to the site to try to point out where the well was. And she doesn't live in Thurman anymore, but she came back to try to to find the well. And from what I understand, she's living in the South. But and she's also living under her married name. Studi is her maiden name. So since she had last been to the property, there had been logging and bulldozing. So it looked very different. But despite this, Lucy was able to walk right to the well. Which says that she's been there multiple times. Mm hmm. And she said that she remembered the spot because of the moral mushrooms. Per Lucy, I'm not surprised they hit there, meaning the cadaver dogs, because my dad said the bodies were the reasons the mushrooms grow so big. We put lie on spots on the mushroom trail. Horrific. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's scary. And now, like, I feel like looking at mushrooms, wild mushrooms places, I will, like, think of them a little different. Yeah, for sure. So the Fremont County Sheriff, two of his deputies... Their dog handler, two cadaver dogs, as well as Lucy, all went to the scene. The handler was Jim Peters, and he runs Samaritan Detection Dogs. And the dogs were named Jojo and Jetty, which is adorable. 
the scene is only accessible by dirt roads and it's relatively difficult to reach, which like makes sense if you're going to hide a bunch of bodies, right? It's been a bit since we've talked in depth about cadaver dogs. So here's a little refresher. And you know, me talking about like dogs and training and all the cool stuff they can do is like my favorite subject. The dogs are technically called human remains detection dogs or HDR. And they differ from search and rescue dogs because search and rescue dogs are trained to find living humans. These guys are to find bodies. There are at least 500 volunteer led teams of cadaver dogs. Which is really interesting if you think about it, that it's not like a certain organization that does, I don't know, all the training and everything. And honestly, like I'm seeing it now, now that we talked about it before, I see it more frequently where they're like, we're looking for volunteers and handlers of cadaver dogs to help with this and this and this. And I've even seen where like when we've talked about Daniel Robinson, where they were like looking for help. And I'm in a lot of uh, rescue groups in Arizona because, you know, that's what I work with. And I was seeing it on there. And I was like, oh, wow, like this is like very close to home now. And so cadaver dogs are about 95% accurate, which is amazing. Like that's better than like most humans. Yeah. Yeah. That's an incredible success rate. And they can smell remains buried 15 feet underground or 30 meters underwater, which is crazy to think about, especially like the underwater one. I've seen a few videos. I follow these guys that look for uh, bodies like in, in bodies of water. And sometimes when they get the the dogs out there, like to watch them work and to really be like, they can smell things underwater is incredible. Yeah. So they can tell the difference too between human remains and animal remains in the area. So like I mentioned before, where she said there was a dog buried there. They know the difference. And they can even detect what's called residue scents. And a residue scent is a scent that's left when a body or a body part is put somewhere else. So like if it was there for a time and then moved. So sometimes trainers will have a command to let the dog know when to start searching because the public or families will be around when the dogs are searching. For example, in another case, one officer's command would be go find Fred. I like that. Which I think is interesting. And uh, just speaking of cues and what they're using, and that's a cute one, right? Like, go find Fred to go find a dead body is is a nice way of saying it without, like, making people even more sad than they already are. When they find something, typically a dog will sit or lay down next to what they found. And that alerts the handler, like, hey, something might be here. When they say a dog alerts to a particular area, that's what they mean. Yep. You see that a lot in true crime stories where they use that phrasing. Yeah. It's just something between them and their handler to let them know, to signify, I have found something in a clever way without making too much of a disturbance either. Cadaver dogs require a thousand hours of training before they're able to assist. And typically that takes about 18 months to two years, which is actually incredible because teaching a dog something so important in two years is is just amazing to me. That's fair. And something near and dear to my heart, they use positive reinforcement training techniques. And so again, it's like the proper kind way to train your dog. In my opinion, the better and only way that should be trained. Any dog can be trained for it, but it's typically labs or shepherds. And personally, I think there's a lot of other dogs that can do this, but labs and shepherds the way that they're built it might also be because they're easy to go in different like 
terrains because it's going to be easier for them to run around. Any dog could probably do it, like they said. I think like I have a beagle, right? Like a beagle mix. And the first thing as a puppy we started doing is scent work, but in a fun way is because beagles are so well known for their noses. Mm-hmm. They're even used nowadays to find bed bugs. Like that's how intense their noses are. Oh, isn't that cool? So fun. Take him to every Airbnb, every hotel. <laughs> Give it a little sniffity snoot. Toby is not a bed bug dog, but he is a kitty cat dog. He is. He's the sheriff, you mean? Yeah. You, you could tell him to find the kitty cat and he will find you a kitty cat and or horse. Does he know the difference? He uh, he doesn't like horses. <laughs> he doesn't like hooved animals, I should say. So like if we're walking and there's a trail because we're kind of in the middle of nowhere and there's uh-huh. trails of things, if he sees hooves, like we'll know, oh, that's horse, you know? Yeah. Him, his hair stands up, his face goes up. He needs to find what direction it went in. He's very upset. Maybe he thinks it's the Jersey Devil. <laughs> maybe. Maybe he's a Jersey Devil hunting dog. Who could know? But like we we could see horses from our backyards occasionally. Like they'll ride them. And if he sees a horse on our bridge, the day is over. He needs to defend the yard from the horse. <laughs> Do we need a True Creeps children's story spinoff story where it's Toby's great hunt for the Jersey Devil? Yes, absolutely. We do. And he has his little sheriff badge and he's like investigating. He is the sheriff of the home. Yep. And he meets all the different things. Mm -hmm. Everyone needs a beagle. Everyone needs one. But like beagles and bassets and things like that that are, you know, hunting dogs, like they, they help find things. Beagles and bassets and things like that that like really use their nose. They'd be great. But also if you took them in certain trains, they probably wouldn't be as versatile as like a lab or a shepherd or something taller. The dogs used for this are trained as trailing and air scenting. And trailing means that they're following a scent that's on the ground. And air scent is when they catch a smell like on the breeze or they're able to follow it to a source. And if you want to get into something like this, there is tons of scent training work and trainers in a lot of areas. And it's so much fun. They typically start with like birch or like different types of wood and then they go into different things. Mm -hmm. And there are chemicals that mimic the scent of decomposing human flesh to train cadaver dogs, which is interesting and good that they don't always have to use actual human flesh, right? Yeah. <laughs> and training aids also can include, you know, human things like bones, teeth, liposuction material, which I wouldn't have really thought about, but it totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. Blood, placenta, a lot of different things. And some training facilities will even take placenta donations so that they could use it for things like this. Interesting. Interesting. I love that. There's so many medical procedures where you do not get to choose what happens to certain parts, right? Like you have like a mass removal. No, they don't let you keep your organs. No, I wanted my gallbladder. I was like, can I see it? They were like, <laughs> no, ma'am, go home. All right, weirdo, no. <laughs> But I'm sure you would have donated it to science or to this, right? Like, I honestly don't know what I would have done with it. I was like 19 when I had my gallbladder removal. Just a young babe. Anyway, tell us more about these cadaver dogs. I'm never, I'm never going to stop. I'm going to tell you about this is the episode now. Amanda just like, you can't see her, but I can. And the way that she lights up when we talk about dogs in any situation, mm -hmm. this is where she shines. Dogs are the best and they can do such cool things. It's true. With less air than humans. 
So at the scene, the cadaver dogs led their handler to four different spots, and they were along the fence where Lucy had previously identified them as places where the bodies had been buried. So very interesting that like, she's like, this is where they are. And the dogs are like, this is where they are. Yeah. Law enforcement believes that Studi's victims were women who were sex workers or transients in or near Omaha, Nebraska. They think that he was luring them onto his property. And I think that's also another reason why he got away with it for so long, because as we've talked about a zillion times now, unfortunately, when someone is a sex worker, a lot of people dismiss their absence, right? Like they're like, they're runaways now. We saw that in Texas Killing Fields or who knows, they probably just left. And again, Sam Little, right? Like that's how he got away with it for so long. And it's disgusting. Yeah. So the lie that had been used in the burial process can preserve the bodies, but it can also mask the scent, which would make it harder for cadaver dogs to alert to it. So in my head, I'm like, then they really must smell something if they can still smell it after that. Exactly. So per Sheriff Kevin Astrope, I really think there's bones there. It's hard for me to believe that two dogs would hit in the exact same places and be false. Yes. We don't know what it is. Then he talks about how there have been different people who've lived on this land over the years, like Native Americans, as well as early settlers. And then he said, right now, we don't even have a bone. According to the dogs, this is a very large burial site. Sheriff Estrup thinks the full excavation of the well would cost 300000 And for the entire budget for that sheriff's department, it's only 1.8. So it would take up a significant portion of the money they have. And that also has to go towards, you know, like paying people. So Mm -hmm. that's concerning. But he said, if I have to, I'm going to break the county and do it. Good. I'm glad that he is driven for justice in the situation and that it's not being diluted by the fact of who they think the victims are. Because sometimes in situations where they really believe that the victims are sex workers or transient women or people who haven't been reported missing, the the push is kind of lackluster. And it seems like he's pushing forward. It doesn't matter who the victims are. Right. Like, I don't care who you are, what you do or anything. Don't fucking kill people. So often, I feel like in law enforcement situations, it takes a family member of a person who's a victim to push. And here it seems like they are actually self-propelled. Well, and we see that a lot with money, too, right? Like where they're like, Mm -hmm. oh, we don't have enough money to DNA test that thing. And it's it's sad because then that's just making it take longer or people are getting away with things that they shouldn't. Finding the person who committed a crime against a person should not be a privilege. No, that should not be something that's afforded only to the wealthy. Right. So Sheriff Eistoff also said that if 70 women went missing from Omaha specifically someone would have noticed so he thinks that there's victims are from other places as well even if it was a population that people aren't necessarily looking out for or taking care of 70 people is still 70 people right it might not just be omaha it might be from other places so several agencies are looking through missing persons to see if they could come up with any hits of people who might match the description of the victims that lucy gave that's good The current investigating agencies are Fremont County's Sheriff's Department, Iowa's Division of Criminal Investigation, also known as the DCI. And the DCI brings expertise and resources for investigations for smaller police departments who request assistance. And then additionally, the Omaha, Nebraska Police Department has offered help to identify victims who may be from Omaha. 
I'm glad that they're putting so much into it. Me too. So this week, a third cadaver dog was able to alert on the property near the mushroom trail that Lucy had recognized. Agencies are now coordinating how they will excavate to search for the bodies. The drilling into the well could begin as early as next month, which would be December of 2022. However, before that happens, there may be sonar used to check for, you know, shallow graves in the surrounding area because Lucy claimed that bodies were also buried around the well. And while Studi owned five acres, law enforcement believes that bodies could also be buried on the neighboring properties, which expands that quite a bit. Mm -hmm. The landowners of the neighboring properties are allowing their properties to be searched without warrant, which is very nice. And you don't get that with every case. I mean, I think in situations where somebody was like, hey, it's pretty likely there could be bodies here. I would be like, go nuts. I don't want bodies here. You would think. There's a lot of different reasons, though, too, where like, they might not be as willing, not necessarily because they're sketchy, but like sentimental things and stuff that could have happened on their property where they don't want it messed up. I could see that too. Fair. So this case is still unfolding. So of course, we will let you know with updates in our True Crime Digests in the future. And our next one will be in 2023. Yeah, this was such a it was a fascinating kind of like quick dive into this case. I think that we're going to be hearing a lot more about it as it gains more media attention. Especially if they do start finding remains. Mm -hmm. It's going to be really, really nice for those families to finally know what happened to their loved ones. And I'm really thinking they're going to find something. That is kind of the silver lining here is that like, hopefully we're talking about 50 to 70 different families who have somebody missing who maybe they don't know that they were abducted, right? Because I mean, people leave and move away. And even in Samuel Little's case, there was one victim that she was identified because Samuel Little drew all of his victims and described them. And there was one sister who was like, I thought she just left. Like she said she was leaving and she thought her sister left and started a new life without her. And that wasn't the case at all. And so I wonder how many people are like this person left and they just never came back. And maybe they just thought they started a life without them. And it was this other terrible thing instead. Oh, that's sad. And let us know, have you heard about this case? What do you think? Do you think they're going to find remains? Have you been to this area? We want to know. Yeah. If there's other cases that you're hearing about that are emerging, always share them with us. Very interested. With that, have a great weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. And as always, a special thank you to our patrons who support us via Patreon. Please see the link in our show notes to learn more about how you yes, you, can begin to haunt the dump, guard vortexes, or even become a scorching Sasquatch. Also in our show notes, you can find the link to our website, more information on our sources, our social media handles, and our merch store. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps and or ghosts. I beg of you. But my perfect angel dog was my helper. And when I would be training a class or if I'd have a specific dog I wanted her to help with, I would ask if she wanted to come to work with me. And there were days that she didn't want to. And she would just get to stay home. She didn't have to work. She was here to be a pet. I like that. Oh, yeah. I'd be like, do you want to go to work today? And if she walked up to the door, she wanted to go to work. If she didn't and she wanted to lay on her bed, she didn't have to go to work. I would never make them work. I love that. 
That being said, though, if you were a dog that was like something like this, I feel like I would be like, we've got bodies to find. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a whole different different type. And the dogs used for this normally enjoy it because they're more working dogs. But anyway, I love when people name things silly things with their dogs. Like that's like my favorite thing when I train someone because we get to call things silly things. We accidentally years ago taught our dogs to wait at the door when the, um, you know, the door's open, you're getting groceries or whatever. We accidentally named it force field. I love that. And so they they have a force field at the door rather than wait because it's it's more fun. There was a dog I used to dog sit for. So rather than saying Moo is in the room with me, so I'm, I can't say the word, but rather than saying, do you want to go for a W-A-L-K? It was like what they would say is, do you want to go cruising? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I lived in Fells Point. And this dog was like the sweetest dog. He was like a big baby named Moses who only ever wanted to give you kisses. Like one of my favorite not family member dogs I've ever met. But they could not walk down the street and like not stop because he wanted to get so much love. So it was very much like we're going out. We're going to go greet the town. We're going cruising. That's cute. What if you didn't take a bath right now, my man? (laughs) Every end of the episode is me talking to fucking Harry because he has to be in the room because he's obsessed with me. But he also can't just sleep the whole time. That's fair. That's fair. I always post when I'm trying to edit. And Loki is like, I'm going to edit too. Break your screen. He digs at her screen like two paws. I feel like I don't allow any animals on desks or tables. So like they, there's just not a chance where he would even get up there. Because <laughs> Ben lets Pickle sit on his like computer table and he lets Ollie sit like sit there too. And so and Ollie the cat, not Amanda's child. <laughs> but I'm sure he would. <laughs> I was like, maybe, yeah, I was like, I was like, maybe he would. I don't know. But like, <laughs> he just, it's, it's Ben and his void girls back there. <laughs> They're black cats. Well, the voids. He likes to sleep on top of my computer where it's hot and then he can't do much destruction there. So I'm always hoping that he'll just go there. That's fair. That's fair. This will be the end of the episode, you know, after. <laughs> 